This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 159 here in the den. Nick Max and Noah Grant coming to you, recording late on a Monday evening in the last week of April, uh, pushing into, uh, oddly enough, actually two weeks from today, I will have completed all of my classes and I will be moving to a new apartment uh, and getting ready to start my new job about a month and a half later, which is kind of crazy. Um, you'd think that when you get done with nursing school, you know, you'd be able to jump in and work right away. Um, legally, no, that's not actually the case. So a uh, mm-hmm. bit of a bit of a waiting period here. But what we haven't uh, been waiting long enough for, apparently, is some really good Minnesota Wild first-round action. You know, it's funny, Nick, uh, for a team that was supposed to be down and out of it and not have a sniff of a chance in a first round at all, it's been interesting. Uh, well, well, that wasn't us saying that. But anyway... Um, <laughs> You know, nobody it's, listens to what we have to say. That's very true. Um, but for those who have bought into that media blitz that the Dallas Stars were this unbeatable, you know, force, um, uh, are kind of eating their own cake right now, to say the least. Oh, um, sounds good, though, doesn't it? It does, actually. But, you know, to our point, right, which we brought up is that if you really broke down past the numbers, right, this series was very even. If you really broke down the lineups, goaltending, minus Mark Andre Fleury, uh, but you know, also, well, you know, it's ahead. funny, Nick. Uh, this series uh, at the time of recording happens to still be even. How crazy yeah. is that? Crazy. Two to two, two to two is the series. We'll obviously dive deep into that one. Should be pretty good. Um, that's going to be the bulk of the main portion of our show. We're going to dive into games one, two, three, and four because you know they've played four so far. Of course, game five coming on Tuesday, which will be the release of this show. So, and then game six, of course, in St. Paul on Thursday, and then Saturday if needed for game number seven. And then in the main portion of the show as well, too, we'll just kind of get you caught up on some of the bigger player moves in the NCAA. A couple of movements in the NCHC and the WCHA and the women's side, not too much, uh, but St. Cloud did get some pretty interesting news uh, in the past couple weeks that I think we do want to discuss, of course. Uh, And then the extra ice session, we're going to continue with the NHL playoffs. The first round um, has been interesting, to say the least. Everything is interesting here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. So without further ado, we'll get you started with what should be probably a decently lengthy Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup and Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Huskies 
Illustrated Weekly Roundup here, Noah, and um, some NHL news that's not playoff related. Uh, the Kings and the Coyotes um, are actually going to play some preseason games in Australia. Not Austria. Uh, yeah, not in Europe, where they have done that a few times. They're going to play down under, um, actually at Rod Laver Arena, uh, of all things considered. Yes, the home of the Australian Open, a tennis tournament that uh, i watch every single year uh this will take place september 23rd and 24th uh so this is how how about this nhl really uh looking to expand the game quite literally uh Uh, still more uh seats probably than a normal coyotes game but you know find me one that's less right (laughs) so uh this will continue to be part of the nhl's uh more recent sort of annual global series uh so uh, definitely a new stop and uh you know i think one St. Clair Huskies player might actually enjoy this. We're talking Zach Okabe, who spent some time in Australia. So uh, how about this, uh, Noah, that uh, the NHL continues to embark on new territory? Yeah. Uh, will Logan Cooley be there? That's really the question. Um, I think yeah. that has been surrounding Arizona, among a number of things that apparently are of great interest related to uh, the city of Tempe, I'm sure. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, this is really awesome. I, I Australia is not a place that I think of when I think of hockey. Um, And really, actually, when I think of Australia, I think of roller hockey. That's actually kind of something that has kind of grown in recent years there. But, I mean, this is away from, you know, the mainland pieces, like you mentioned, of Europe, of Asia. Uh, This is an interesting thing. I think this is a great expansion for the National Hockey League. We're finally getting getting to that point where the global series has kind of gotten back into full swing. And we pushed away from the traditional European market, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you know, kind of have moved further and further southeast, I guess, if you're looking at a world map in terms of a a flat 2D printed map, which is not how the world actually is, but you get the gist. Uh, You know, we're moving farther and farther from the United States um, in some senses. It's cool. It's awesome. I I think it'll be a really unique event. I I wonder how uh, interesting it'll be to keep ice down there, obviously, too. I wonder uh, how experienced they are uh, in Australia with ice. Not to say that people in Australia can't be good at making ice and making hockey rinks, but it's just it's a very warm market. We had the same conversation 25 years ago with hockey in Arizona, Florida, now Vegas, California, right? And everybody's figured it out. So this seems like it's the next step for the National Hockey League, and why not pick two teams that come from warm climates as it is? Should be pretty exciting. Should be. Uh, I'd be interested in the the fan interest especially down there in that non-traditional market um some other little tidbits here noah uh, the u.s women uh win the worlds against canada six to three that trend that we keep seeing where whoever wins the medal in the preliminary round is the loser in the medal round uh that continues to be a thing between these two squads so congrats to the u.s women on their gold medal again 63 the victorious score uh not so good iowa wild eliminated from the american hockey league's playoffs uh, and with that being said, uh, the Iowa Wild, they're going to be making some coaching changes. In fact, full scale coaching changes. Uh, head coach Tim Army and his staff are out um, as uh, part of sweeping changes for the Iowa Wild. Uh, you know, this one caught me by surprise a little bit. Yeah. And uh, not to say that Tim Army, granted, you can look at the records. Records maybe don't jump off the page with you. But I have a sense, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that this move isn't necessarily about the wins and losses, but more about the development side of things. And when you look at specifically guys like Marco Rossi, when you look at guys like Adam Beckman, Mason Shaw, guys who have made the jump, but maybe guys who haven't, 
Do you get the sense that this is more to do with the development side of things than necessarily the record on the ice? Well, it's interesting because the record is kind of reflective. Um, no shit, Sherlock, of the team that's in front, you know, on the ice. But what I mean by that is Tim Army, I, at least it kind of felt like, is that he's finally kind of turned a corner where he's had some of these guys that have made that jump and subsequently his team has gotten worse as a result because of the fact that those guys are now moving up to the big club. So it's kind of a double-edged sword where the more successful you are in the development process, the more you almost hurt yourself mm -hmm. in some senses because the guys are going up to the next level. So I always kind of thought that Tim Army had a pretty good feel for the temperature of that. But like you mentioned, the record and playoff success or lack thereof kind of speaks for itself in that regard. Um, yeah, you wonder if it's a not even maybe so much a development piece, but more of a command of the room kind of thing. Is the development mm -hmm. mentally uh, you know, and as a group reflected a little bit more than on a personal, you know, individual case by case basis. Um, and those things kind of happen. He's definitely a guy. Uh, there's no doubt about it. That would get a shot. I think at the collegiate level um, or somewhere in professional hockey, he is not going to not have a home for long. I don't think if he looks uh, to try to continue his coaching resume. So um, yeah, I think this one kind of caught us a little bit by surprise. Um, I really wonder where Iowa is going to be headed with this one. It'll be a, it'll be uh, kind of a odd little summer for them. It's been a while since we've really had a discussion like this for the the little club. Really has. And, uh, you know, speaking of the wild, right, we'll talk about how their off seasons may be linked with obviously mm -hmm. sweeping changes coming for the big club whenever the season ends. We'll discuss that obviously a little bit more later uh, with the current playoffs and everything else of that nature. Uh, but speaking of milestones, whether it's good or bad, right, Noah? Let's talk about Eric Carlson. Yeah. Sixth defenseman ever with a 100-point uh, season producing. How about this? The first since Brian Leach in 1992. That is, check the math, 31 years ago? I wasn't is even alive. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I was. I was. If I'm dating myself, I'm sure you knew that already. Um, how about I was, this other I I was going to say it was when you were in diapers, but that could have been last year too. So that could have been, yeah. Depends on which side of the, of the coin you're looking at. Um, how about other players that have had hundred point seasons, right? Al McKinnis, uh, again, known for his, at the time, probably the hardest slap shot in the league back in the early to late nineties. Uh, Paul Coffey, he did it five times. Dennis Potvin and Bobby Orr did it six times as the other players to reach that hundred point milestone as a defenseman of the national hockey league. Yeah. Um, speaking and, you know, odds are that are, Pretty small, but speaking of odds, um, the NHL draft lottery odds are also set here, Noah. Um, lottery set to take place on Monday, May 8th. Um, right now, the number one consensus overall pick is Connor Bedard. Then the number two, at least on most draft boards, is Adam Fantilli. Again, the sophomore uh, Ford for the uh, University of Michigan. Um, so let's talk about odds, right? The Anaheim Ducks have the best chance to land the number one overall pick. Again, they were the worst placed team in the regular season. They have 18.5% chance. Um, Columbus, 13.5%. Chicago, 11.5%. San Jose, 9.5%. Montreal, 8.5%. The list goes down from there. But the big thing here, Noah, what we have to remember is no matter who wins the draft lottery, you can only move up three spots so even if say someone like oh geez detroit five percent pittsburgh 1.5 
Calgary somehow can get it. Um, at least Toronto, we know, won't have a chance to, you know, have a ball click off what the post that for the ball to go up. So they can't win it. But no matter who does, can only move up three spots as a maximum. Again, the best odds going to the Ducks, the worst record in the regular season. Yeah, you can only move up 10 spots. So uh, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, National, and Calgary can't. No, it's 10 spots. Guarantee you it's 10. Um, so it's 10 spots. Uh, and you, I this don't is, think it's 10. This is coming straight from the athletic article. I'm going to tell you this right now. You can only move up 10 spots. Um, so that means Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Nashville, and Calgary cannot pick first, as well as Ottawa. But it's actually the Arizona Coyotes pick from the Senators. So Arizona will actually pick twice in this in this draft. So, um, yeah, kind of interesting. So this means the Ducks, like you mentioned, 18.5% lottery odds, but they actually have a 25.5% chance of actually picking first because you're losing those bottom five teams uh, in the draft potential for the lottery as well, too. So it'll be interesting. I really wonder if this is the year where Anaheim, you know, getting a chance to pick first, will pick first and have that opportunity. Both Anaheim and Columbus as the top two teams could really use him. I think seeing him go to a place like Chicago would be kind of tough considering the success that the Hawks have had for so long. So, um, yeah, and then San Jose and Montreal, uh, both teams that, also could use a high flying scorer like Bedard who shattered records, uh, you know, with his performance over 230 points or something like that uh, in his tenure. I mean, just a guy that has been insanely, insanely productive. Um, so how about, how about this? Did you vindicate me or did you not? You seem to be <laughs> searching quite heavily. I can send you the article if you're, <laughs> if, if you're <laughs> searching quite heavily here. Um, but yeah, you know, in, uh, Arizona actually in a really good spot too, 7.5% to pick uh, first in the lottery. And then they also are, are around that, uh, what would be a number 11, I think 10 or 11 right now as it stands with the Ottawa pick as well too. So in a very deep draft class that's coming up this year, Arizona actually has put themselves in a decent spot when it comes to uh, you know multiple picks early on in the first round as well. So, um, and some names that we've seen, you know, as of recent, Philadelphia, of course, but then Washington, a, a group that hasn't really been in that spot. They're tucked inside the top seven or eight. Detroit, um, you know, is in there as well. St. Louis, uh, interesting there in the top 10. And then uh, what's even more exciting, I think, is the fact that Buffalo uh, and Ottawa, uh, you look at both of those programs, uh, their or program franchises, I should say, both of those teams were basically high up on this list for the past four, five, six years. And then all of a sudden uh, now they're kind of knocking on the door of making an entry to the Stanley cup playoffs, which I think is exciting. You know, this, this process and the cycle for both these teams has really turned into uh, a much better process for them. And they're starting to kind of feel that upswing that Buffalo Sabres team is going to be a dangerous team in a couple of years. So, uh, and for real this time, not just us saying it and Ottawa isn't far behind. So yeah, it should be exciting. And that whoever's, going to pick first Bedard, no question as good as Adam Fantelli is. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, um, Connor Bedard is uh, he's going first. He's, he's just, he's just too good. He's a generational talent. So um, moving on here to some retirement news, uh, Justin Braun in Philadelphia, 13 seasons, the Minnesota native 842 national hockey league games. He is done. Of course, uh, started his career, had a pretty lengthy stint in San Jose is where a lot of people remember him from. So a good career for him. And then Craig Anderson, we just mentioned the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, he was pretty serviceable with a 908 as a backup for that team this season. He announced his retirement 20 years in the national hockey league. What a great career. Craig Anderson had, of course, you know, uh, the big bounce back a couple of seasons ago, too, with all of the personal struggles that he was going through in his life uh, was just extremely interesting to see him, um, 
kind of go through those uh, sorts of things. Uh, we have a lot of firings or non-re-signings, so to speak, and then we'll get to some signings and additions here. Uh, let's start uh, in the managerial sign, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who, of course, missed the playoffs for the first time since 2006 in Crosby's rookie season uh, in 16 seasons, I believe. They fired general manager Ron Hextall, who hadn't been there that long, uh, assistant GM Chris Pryor and president of hockey operations Brian Burke as well. So, uh, the Penguins kind of doing a full-scale reshuffle here besides their core. It's going to be an interesting offseason uh, out there in the Steel City. Uh, in Calgary, general manager Brad Treleving uh, ends his tenure after nine seasons. He's 64 years of age. I think this one kind of caught a lot of people off guard. I think a lot of people expected him to kind of re-up his tenure, but this was not a firing. This was he stepped away on his own accord. The Flames missing the playoffs by just two points uh, this season. So, Interesting there in Calgary. Uh, in Columbus, Brad Larson out after two years. Um, that's Brad Larson, not Brett Larson. Um, 62, 86, and 16 for him uh, in his tenure. So obviously the Blue Jackets really struggled again this year. Dallas Eakins not returning as the Anaheim Ducks head coach. Uh, 100, 147, and 44. Uh, kind of no surprise there. It would be unfortunate if they end up getting Bedard, though, because that's a coaching opportunity missed out on. Um, how about this one, by the way? Uh, the Ottawa Senators, they will not re-sign Cam Talbot, who was 17-14-2 on the season and 8-9-8 in 36 games played. He's 35 years of age. Um, I think the Wild won the Gustafson trade. Is that <laughs> is that safe to say at this point? Uh, interesting from Cam Talbot. Um, yeah, to say the, <laughs> to say lightly. Um, we said this before, or at least I've made the mention, um, where would this wild team be had Cam Talbot not gotten pissed off that they re-signed Mark Andre Fleury? Yeah, no, or that it, he was going to be the starter. I mean, let's think about it. Where this team would be if Cam Talbot and Fleury were the duo? Yeah. Not trying to take anything away from Cam Talbot, but Philip Gustafson has been lights out, and now Cam Talbot, after wanting out, he goes to Ottawa, thinking he's going to be the number one guy, and now he doesn't want to be in Ottawa, so. Did he overplay his hand? Did he go from what he thought was going to be greener pastures as a, as a number one goaltender? Maybe. And now he's looking for another team at age 35, which is going to be a tough sell um, to some clubs next year. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. I wonder where he ends up. I wonder if he ends up in a place like Columbus or something like that, a team that either needs a serviceable backup or is kind of looking to kind of refresh the goaltending tandem while they wait for somebody young to show up. It, it, it's interesting for him. He's kind of a guy that, has never had a career that has been, you know, solid, solid. But at the same time, I mean, it hasn't been a bad career, but he just kind of hasn't really latched on anywhere. Minnesota felt like the real first place after the ups and downs he had with the New York Rangers. And then, uh, yeah, he's just kind of thrown himself back into the fire again. So uh, kind of interesting for him. Uh, in Chicago, by the way, the Hawks will not re-sign Jonathan Taves. Pretty uh, interesting send-off for him in Chicago as well, too. So, um, yeah, that Hawks core, like you mentioned, the third best overall odds in the draft lottery to uh, end up with a first overall pick. They're kind of retooling on the fly slash rebuilding at the same time. Kind of that's not a retool; that's a rebuild. Yeah. Um, so, it, but without Jonathan Taves, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate to say it. His body has kind of failed him a little bit. So, I mean, it's it's not like the piece that they're losing has been that productive in recent years. You'd like to see him kind of find his form again and finish out his career maybe with somebody else. I, I'm i about 40-60 that he continues to play hockey after this season. I really don't know. 
I don't know either, but here's what I will tell you. I think the decision is on him. Uh, I think there are teams that would take him as a leadership role, as a depth role. Um, And I think we both would agree that after Patrick Kane was traded, that the end of that era with those two was officially over with. Um, So it wasn't as shocking to me when it was announced. I think there is just a shock that, you know, essentially 2006, 2007, those two names were synonymous with Chicago Blackhawks hockey and three times Stanley Cups, right? So to me, Chicago is signaling not that they didn't do that beforehand and some really terrible returns on trading Alex to bring it, but I'm still not salty about that. Um, <laughs> just, they just way underdid that trade hundred yeah. percent. Um, but you kind of got the sense of started there and now in effect, they kind of finished it in reality. Yeah. Uh, but, but now it's who's the new face of the franchise, right? Um, they do have a decent chance to get the number one overall pick, but at the end of the day, um, you know, is it going to be the same type of tenure we saw with Taves and Kankas? Mind you, weren't they one and then was it was it two number one picks back to back? Yeah, I mean, they Kane just... Kane and Taves, six the, and seven. Yeah, just the success that they had was unbelievable. But Unreal. honestly, I'm not complaining that the Hawks aren't that good. I, we had a long time where Chicago was really good here. Now, mm-hmm. it's important for them to become relevant in the next five years because yes. the Windy City almost lost their hockey team until the infusion of Kane and Taves. So yeah. um, that's a big deal for viability in the National Hockey League, too. So it'll be interesting. Um, Bedard would look good in a Hawks sweater. I mean, let's not, you know... You look good in any sweater, but yeah, yeah. really good in them. So yeah, yeah not, <laughs> not under sugarcoat that at all. But uh, speaking of someone who's going to stay in the same sweater, though, our second to last topic, some signings here in re-additions. Uh, the Minnesota Wild retaining Freddie Goudreau, five years, $10.5 million. That's 2.1 average annual value. Oh, my gosh, what a steal of a contract this is. Some people were talking about how this was an overpay. I'm like, are you kidding? A guy that can play center on both ends of the ice is a shootout specialist and has – a has become a better skater every year in the National Hockey League and has probably one of the softest set of mitts in the National Hockey League. As a guy who can slot in on a true deep center position NHL team and be a third-line center that's extremely serviceable and bring offensive punch, I don't know how you don't like this in Minnesota. I get the the term is slightly long, but I, I don't know. I He's not that old. Slightly I mean, long. That's, that's you hilarious. Yeah. Here's my thing. Here's what the Wild are doing. And and Noah Grant, we have talked about maybe not as extensively as maybe we have. And maybe at one point, maybe after the playoffs, we should talk about it. And I, I brought this up before is we've the discussion around this team with your contracts has always been how are they going to get past to the 2025 to 2025, right? Yeah. So 12.7 million this year, 14.7 the next two years. The fact that they're even a content, you know, a contender in the playoffs being hampered by almost 13 million is crazy in itself, right? But less of the conversation has been what is their plan after that cap hit comes off, right? Because you got to remember too, after uh, 14.7 million, they have a couple of years where essentially, uh, essentially 1.6 million, so they get a lot of it back. But here's what they've done. They've secured Spurgeon. They've uh, secured Brodine. Now they've secured both Goudreau and Matt Boldy. Uh, Jewel Erickson Eck is there. So what they've mentioned is, okay, here's our core. Here's what we're going to build around. We hope to get Kaprizov back to. They're getting their dollars ahead now. Yeah. So that's really what this move is. And to your point, 
this is a steal of a contract for a guy um, that's really good defensively. Like you said, great set of hands. Incredible in the shootout. Yeah, he's not going to be the biggest point producer, but he's that guy that can provide um, you a lot of different options. He can play center. He can play wing. He's a great skater. And he's a guy that you can trust in multiple situations, right? Penalty kill. He can be a guy in the power play if you need him to be. But five on five, he's always been money. So to me, uh, you're securing a player that you really like. um, And more so um, after a couple more years of cap hell, uh, now you're trying to figure out what kind of dollars you got to work with to A, extend Kirill. And then how are we going to build our team around these core players Bill Guerin has done an amazing job with this. This is another another piece of that puzzle for life after the Suter and Parisi contracts that big hack uh, cap has expired after 25. And a guy that's gotten better each season and you want to bank on that yeah. now, unless, you know, let's say he has, you know, a 40 point season next season for whatever reason, then he's not yeah. worth 2.1. Then he's worth 4.1, you know? Right. And it's like, you want to kind of get ahead of that while you can and realize that he's found a home here. He's finally found his footing in his game. Um, a true day in and day out NHL or at this point here, you mm-hmm. want to make sure that he stays at a price point that, you know, allows him to offer the value he has to this club. So yeah, great move by Bill Gear. And I definitely agree. Um, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets here. Alex Texier rejoins the club next season. Of course, didn't join this year at the recommendation of the NHL, NHLPA substance abuse and behavioral health program. This sounded like it was a little bit more on the behavioral health, just kind of mental health side of things as opposed to the other piece. But uh, yeah, again, speculation. Uh, 23-year-old spent uh, last season uh, in Switzerland, 35 points in 46 games with the ZSC Lions. So um, wishing him the best of luck. The Jackets, I'm very excited to have him back. Good young little player there for that squad. And then Danny Breer to remain as the Flyers general manager full-time. So he's kind of got his hands full doing some heavy hitting out there in Philly. I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit more as we talk about some off-season plans around the National Hockey League. Finally, injury news here. The Avalanche, uh, Gabriel Landeskog, of course, done for the year. Um, Joe Pavelski in Dallas, he's out indefinitely, but he is skating right now. So he did skate today. Um, so keep an eye on that one if this series does go to seven games against uh, the Dallas Stars. And then Winnipeg, Josh Morrissey out at least for this series with a lower body injury against Vegas. And then in Carolina, Tavo Teravainen also out indefinitely after breaking his hand in game number two. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 159. Nick Max and Noah Grant here to dive right into it. The uh, bit of college news, of course, that we have to jump into will be the start of the main portion of our show. My guess is um, we either are going to record on Sunday night or Monday night next week. So um, whenever that will be, I We'll have to see. I, we originally planned for Monday. It might be Sunday. We'll see. Um, we haven't actually discussed if you can if you can't tell that already. <laughs> but uh, with that being said, look for a Monday morning or Sunday night or Tuesday morning release somewhere around there in the early portions, really around the transition time into round two uh, of the Stanley Cup playoffs is kind of where you uh, want to take a look to see when our next episode for 160 comes out. But let's start uh, college hockey world and by extension, the USHL quick little tidbit here, the Fargo force clinching the regular season title in the USHL, their first ever Anderson cup. Uh, I have a couple of friends that I skate with, of course, uh, in the summer that are on that team, a couple of St. Cloud commits on that team as well, too. And then of course, head coach, former assistant coach, Nick Oliver in his first season at the helm. And I'd say it's going pretty well so far as they get ready for the Clark cup playoffs. Um, 
Yeah, Nick, I, Fargo, what a great season that they've had. What a great success story for Nick Oliver. And I, in a good way, I, I hate to say it, he's probably shortening his tenure in Fargo <laughs> quicker and quicker considering the success that he's had. Oh, for sure. And granted, we know, you know, Nick Oliver quite well. In fact, you know, did a couple of recordings of Hockey and Show with St. Cloud with him. Smart guy, uh, just really good communicator with the players too. Um, knows the ins and outs of the game. And uh, we're seeing that, right? You're one with the Fargo Force. Um, I would be curious if he gets phone calls as there is this summer. Not sure that he will necessarily get a job per se, but he will be on a lot of people's radars for sure after maybe next season. But it would not shock me if, say, other dominoes fall, which we don't know if they will or not. Um, he, like you said, very short term probably for Fargo, uh, but he's going to end up being a head coach somewhere. Um, I hear, I hear Bentley has an opening. Yeah, they do. <laughs> he's not going there though. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, a, a great success for him. The job's not done. You'd love to see them go all the way. That team, uh, very good. A couple of, of course, uh, St. Cloud commits on that roster, by the way. Of course, Leo Gruba on the back end, and then Werner Mietnin, of course, taking a look at him and what he's going to potentially and probably bring to the table next year. Sounds like he's uh, getting ready to make the jump uh, from what it seems. Uh, before we jump to St. Cloud, quickly here, other NCAA player moves of note in the past couple of weeks here. Uh, of course, Matty Nyes did sign his contract with Toronto and the Maple Leafs. Uh, Brock Faber, of course, to Minnesota, did pretty uh, good slightly losing his man, but then diving in front of a puck in game one. We'll talk about that, of course. Uh, Luke Hughes to New Jersey scored his first NHL goal on a nice little wraparound in overtime. Mike Benning to Florida. Um, Mackie Samuskevich and Eneve Peretz both headed to Carolina. And then Wyatt Kaiser to Chicago. He scored, I believe, in his – was it his first game or second game? I can't remember um, when he scored. I think it was his first game. Uh, And then Eric Portillo um, in the LA Kings organization in in, sorry Ontario in the AHL – there so a couple of professional signings in that regard um as far as other player movements in the portal and other things uh let's start on the men's side colorado college connor mayer um is staying at cc like we mentioned henry wilder coming over a junior netminder from boston college um played three games last season had an 857 and a 548 so i am guessing he wasn't put into some very favorable situations, but uh, he is an addition for the Colorado College Tiger Tigers. Other than that, other teams that uh, have gotten an addition, Brett Chorsky actually ended up at Colgate, and Nate Schweitzer ended up at Lake Superior State. So uh, the Tigers losing everybody that was on their transfer portal list so far, except for Cade Arnholz, who's still um, waiting for a home there. Of course, Minnesota native, I believe, correct? Um, Cade? Maybe. Uh, I feel like maybe not. I don't remember. Um, and then Denver, uh, the only addition for them, um, Owen Ozar um, is headed to Bowling Green. Tyler Haskins, of course, to Minnesota State. We mentioned that. And Brett Edwards still in the portal. The senior forward had five points last season. Miami, uh, adding Albin Nielsen from Niagara, had 24 points in 40 games as a senior forward last season. Good little pickup um, for him. A two-time transfer also played at Providence. So he's the only addition uh, for the Miami Redhawks, who, of course, are losing a slew of players that have gone uh, multiple ways. I believe Chase Pletsky headed to Michigan. He's the only new Miami has three transfer 
additions, Spencer Cox and Ryan Sullivan also to that yeah. list. Yeah. So um, Minnesota Duluth, Luke Bass coming from North Dakota, uh, the sophomore defenseman had three points last season. And then Penn State, Connor McMenamin, uh, the senior forward, 24 points for him headed to Duluth. That's a nice little pickup for That's the Bulldogs pickup. who are mm-hmm. kind of reeling from the loss of Isaac Howard uh, and Luke Milmock a little bit. So of course, Howard heading to Michigan State, Milmock with his brother in Niagara. So um Actually, the most active team in the NCHC besides St. Cloud as of recent has been Omaha. Um, mm-hmm. uh, down there in Nebraska, uh, adding Jesse Lanzel from Notre Dame had 15 points as a senior forward last season. And Dominic Vidoli, um, the junior defenseman coming from Ohio State, had five points in 23 games the junior last season. So uh, kind of trying to alleviate the loss of Davis Pennington on the back end and Cam Berg on the forward side. This has kind of been Omaha's MO. I think Omaha and St. Cloud have been the two teams that have been similar in regard to they look for about, you know, two to three in this case for Omaha this year, four guys because of some of the changes uh, and kind of just try to restock by committee a little bit uh, with the Mavs here. So um, I really like uh, the Jesse Lansdell picked up from Notre Dame, by the way, a nice little infusion of offense there and a guy that's going to bring some veteran presence. Um, North Dakota yeah, they everything's just been crazy in North Dakota. Uh, of course, we'd mentioned Garrett Pike on the back end coming from Alaska. Then Hunter Johannes from Lindenwood had 29 points in 28 games uh, as a senior forward last season. Ludwig Pearson, we mentioned from Miami. And that Keaton Pearson, um, not same spelling, not related at all, defenseman from Michigan, uh, had 11 points in 39 games, kind of trying to restock the back end who had lost every single defenseman. Bennett Smolik coming from Minnesota State, Manicato, and then Cam Berg, like we mentioned, coming over from Omaha. So um, they lost a lot in the transfer portal too. One of them headed to St. Cloud State. So let's talk about it um, in just a few moments. We might as well start with Western Michigan here um, very quick. Sam Col- Colangelo coming from Northeastern. Um, for Western Michigan, that was their only new addition. And then Jack Perbix did find a home at Northern Michigan was the only change for them. So for St. Cloud, they add two players, one coming from Alaska, 31 games played at five points for the sophomore defenseman, Carl Falk. And then on the forward side, Nick Ports from North Dakota, also a sophomore, 27 games played, two goals, seven assists, nine points for him. St. Cloud has now pushed themselves into a spot where they have 10 forwards and six, maybe seven defensemen right now before their freshman additions here, Nick. Um, Falk joins Dylan Anhorn, Josh Lidke, Jack Peart, Cooper Wiley, and Mason Reiners for sure on the back end. Andre Trayball right now is still technically a question mark right now. It sounds like he's going to go pro, but we haven't heard anything as of yet. Do you like the additions from Brett Larson? Do you talk about his coaching staff? He's a guy that's very selective about what he's looking for in the transfer portal. We've seen guys before come in that had point values that maybe didn't pop out and jump off the page. What do you think both these guys bring? Well, just from reading a little bit about their stats, right, and then going into maybe some game logs, uh, one thing that I noticed from Falk is, you know, more of a defensive defenseman, uh, bigger kid. Uh, So definitely a guy that can be more of a shutdown presence like a Brendan Bushy was. He's got some size too. He's not like the biggest kid, but he's got a little bit of size. Um, that's how I see it, you know, being that stay at home, you know, just make sure everything's in front of him kind of kid. And then Nick Porce, to me, this is an interesting pickup because there's no question that St. Cloud needs center depth. Uh, I'm not sure if Nick played center at North Dakota or is he mostly in the wing? I think he was in the wing, wasn't he? Uh, not, I can't really remember off the top of my head. Just, you know, the interesting piece, of course, a lot of family ties to St. Cloud too. So a destination mm-hmm. that uh, definitely quite obviously was high on his list. Um, 
Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned, right, with Brett Larson and his coaching staff, I think for Nick Ports, uh, one of the things that, if I remember watching his game, it reminded me a lot of the player that I think St. Cloud wanted out of, oh, geez, why can't I think of his name? Oh, geez, like bad. No, the essentially, he's... Um, He's a current roster player. I'm I'm gonna give me a second here. I'm gonna find him. But I think <laughs> this is so bad. I know. Just yeah, d- kill I'm me just, now. We- I'm just waiting for another descriptor. I, honestly, you know what's I'm interesting? I'm pulling up the but, roster right now. Yeah, it's um, interesting. Ryan People... Rosborough. That's who I was thinking of. Oh, there you I, go. I think, yeah, yeah. I think big, Nick Brooks is what they wanted Ryan Rosborough to be. That's how I see it. I could be completely wrong. Everybody knows my hockey dicks are full of crap. So who the <laughs> heck knows? Um, so yeah. people also don't realize how easy it is to forget names of players who play on the teams that you cover. Like, I know that sounds like, like it, Nick is kind of like slightly embarrassed about that right now. Like, honestly, it happens every week. It happens every week where you can't remember who a guy is for whatever reason. We see a lot of hockey and a lot of players and the transfer portal does not make anything easier. So um, it's interesting. Uh, Caleb Teeson is probably the other defenseman that comes in for sure. Uh, along with Jack Ryman on the, on the forward side, Werner Mietnin on the forward side. Um, and maybe somebody else, Leo Gruba, potentially on the back end, are a couple of guys that might make the jump. But we did have a fan question here, Nick. Um, who would you pair with Josh Lidke uh, next season? Of course, Anhor played with Lidke before getting hurt. Um, Peart played with Lidke, of course, after Anhorn got hurt. Um, I think in my mind, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I look at this lineup. Again, we said Anhorn, Lidke, Peart, Wiley, Reiners, Falk, and Trayball. I know you want to spread the wealth a little bit, but I mean – Anhorn and Lidke have been far and away your two best defensemen over the course of last season. I mean, they're your top pair. I, they they just are. Like for me, I, I I don't know that spreading the wealth is that effective in this case. I think at least to start the season, I think you're just going to see them both together because it, it it was a very effective defensive pairing. It wasn't. You can spread the wealth if, say, you're a bottom four. Um, mm-hmm. is interchangeable, which I'm not sure with the new blood. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, right? I would put Peart and Falk together yeah. a little bit. And here's why I say that. Towards the end of the season, and especially in the NCHC frozen face-off, and a little bit into the NCAA playoffs, we saw a little bit of that offensive prowess that Jack Peart has shown in mm-hmm. a little bit of pieces. But we saw a little bit more of it. And I think if you put Jack Peart with somebody that is more of that state back guy, gives you the green light to be maybe in his head to be a little bit more offensively minded, I think you can unlock a lot more out of his game that would be comparable to, say, a guy like, I don't know, Nick Perbix. Um, I, I think there's more of a comparable there than people realize. I think the skill set's there. I think there's maybe... Just something to say, because I think Jack Peart has such a high hockey IQ. Sometimes you overthink it a little bit, and sometimes you get a little hesitant to maybe go out and be, I don't know when you say aggressive, or just you know kind of you, take control of the play. You know what's but, weird? And, of course, Peart, of course, is a Minnesota Wild you know, draft pick. I, he kind of reminds me a little bit, if you put like Kalen Addison and Jonas Brodeen together a little bit in that sense, like you mentioned, Kalen Addison has some some of the similar issues where he's got a lot of tools in his offensive toolbox, needs to work a little bit on his decision-making, and also kind of just needs to be a little bit more confident in his game and be a little bit more deliberate in the plays that he makes and shore up a little bit of the defensive side. 
I, I don't know that that comparable is too far away. At first, I was going to go Matt Dumba because that's what everybody does. But Matt Dumba's game is just different from what Jack Peart brings to the table. Mm-hmm. I it, It's interesting. Like you mentioned, it, he needs somebody that's riding shotgun with him that's able to kind of, I don't want to say clean up his mistakes, but be the safety valve and mm-hmm. give him the freedom to feel like he could step up. You look in previous years, Nick Perbix had guys that were riding shotgun next to him that were comfortable in that role. You know, that was able, in, in fact, you're going to have to help me out in this one. Um, I can see the player that he was riding shotgun with. He, was that Jack Ashan? Uh, well, it, later in his career, he was a transfer. He's a transfer um, on the back end. And why can't I think of his name? I'm not really sure right now. Um, played two seasons here. <laughs> gonna drive number two, number oh, three. Seamus Donahue. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so there, there's a guy that's a prime example of one that I couldn't remember his name, but number two, um, a guy that kind of gave Nick Perbix the freedom to make plays like that similar situation, I think, um, would be warranted. The question is how well I think will Falk's game assimilate to the NCHC level. I think is really what our question is, is, Mm -hmm. is he the guy that's going to step in into that top four role, or is it one of these young guys that's going to take a jump next season and kind of be our guy or in a weird roundabout way, does Andre Treball somehow end up returning to the Huskies? Not really sure, but right. um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Is there anything else you wanted to add on St. No. Cloud? No. Okay. Um, well, let's move over to the Minnesota wild here. We are NHL from here on out. So uh, starting off with game number one, this series has had kind of an interesting ride between the Dallas stars and the Minnesota wild. Nick and I were talking about it pre-show really uh, this series has been about even as it gets in a weird way because each team has won a game that they probably deserve to lose. And they've each lost a game by a comfortable margin in which they got outplayed heavily. So for Minnesota, the game that they won that they probably shouldn't have was game one. They had a decent Mm -hmm. start to this hockey game, but the finish was all Dallas. I mean, the stars were all over them at the end of period number three in both the overtimes, but it was Ryan Hartman with a double overtime winner off of a nice four check and turnover for the victory. Um, Minnesota, uh, you have 92 combined hits in this hockey game, which is just absolutely absurd. I mean, the physicality was crazy. Scoring got started with Kruel Kaprizov uh, with less than a minute left in the first period. Rupe Hintz and Jason Robertson, both in the power play, answer in the early stages of period number two before Sam Steele on the breakaway had us tied until Ryan Hartman scored at 12.20 of the second overtime. Um yeah, Nick, I, this is where we got our first taste of one, how physical this series was going to be. And number two, how much of a goaltending battle this is going to be. One of the best hockey games that we've seen in recent memory and also the longest game in franchise history in the playoffs for the Minnesota Wild. It was. And, you know, I think you described it well for the most part. I'm not going to bear on it too much. So uh, we're the better team the first half, Dallas pushed back and then you just survive in overtime. Both teams traded some chances, some odd man rushes, but talk about sometimes you get a bounce. They get what a clear up the wall that I think caught what a skate essentially. And it goes right to Hartman. He was trailing the play essentially. And he holds onto that puck for that extra second while Ottinger went down in his butterfly. He's got a wide open right side of the net. He's able to pot it in the wild steel game one. It's about what you can say. Yeah, shots 53-48 in favor of Dallas. The Wild were all over them in the first two periods in terms of shots on goal, like we mentioned. Uh, 
you look at the save percentages, though. I mean, 45 of 48 for Jake Ottinger, who stopped 38 of 40 at even strength and 7 of 8 on the power play. On the other side, Philip Goss is in a perfect 42 for 42 at even strength, stopping 6 of 8 uh, on the power play. And then on the other side, 3 on 3 shorthanded um, on the other side of that piece, too. So, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, special teams continuing to play a factor in this series get ready for that theme if the wild can figure out their special teams they're going to be just fine i'm going to throw that out there right now uh game number two uh the wild uh outshot 31 to 26 in this hockey game one for five in the man advantage giving up three on six opportunities on the power play on the other side for the stars who end up winning this one seven to three it was two to one after the first period oscar sunquist gets one back for the wild Marcus Johansson and Freddie Gaudreau score in period number two to make it four to three before the Stars ultimately lead six three out of the second intermission. And Rupe Hints adds another on the power play to cap this one off at seven to three. This, of course, was I don't know if this was a head scratcher. In my mind, it kind of was. Uh, I, I'm a very big, uh, you know, this is a situation unlike last year where you ride the hot hand until the hot hand shows you it has nothing left, you know. Last year's situation was, I think, a bit different because you didn't have a definitive 1A guy mm-hmm. versus, you know, 1B. Um, but Flurry gets a chance, stopping 24 of 31. Did not get a lot of help in front of him. You know, and unfortunate no. for him in that regard. Of course, Jake Ottinger stopping 23 of 26 in the win for the Dallas Stars. Um, this one kind of got out of hand early um, and was a little bit ugly. Uh, we also kind of failed to mention, too, um, and maybe we'll circle back to it. We wondered if the animosity from game one was going to carry back into game number two. I think the energy kind of found itself a little bit more with the success that Dallas had on the ice, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, the actual things about game one, which I think we'll probably circle back and at least talk about that hit. But yeah, this was uh, uh, fair to say Minnesota had a sniff, but really a, a no show for most of the night. Is that fair to. Uh for most of the night, I wouldn't characterize as a total no-show. Um, I do want to respond to the flurry thing yeah. because, to me, it's not that much of a head-scratcher. I know, hot take. I know, I almost made you spit yeah. on your drink. Um, no, I, so I, I don't know if it was a hot take. I just <clears throat> Well, I it is kind of hot because on one side, you're absolutely right. Philip Gustafson has been the better goal-setter throughout the entire season. He's given you no reason to not let him keep the net, right? Yeah. On the other side of the coin, and this goes kind of goes back to the Cam Talbot off ice sort of things, right? Is you sort of sign Mark Andre Fleury to be a playoff goaltender, right? And there's no question he wants to be in the net. So you kind of wonder with a game going to double overtime that tensions, especially after the Matt Gumba hit, were up. You had a feeling that Dallas was going to push. Was this not only one, you just doing your rotation that you normally did? sort of, in the regular season. Also, taking the temperature of the so-called room and expecting to get kind of throttled a bit and you don't want to rattle your number one goaltender's confidence. And so you put Mark Andre Flair out to the Wolves. I think both maybe are true. Hard to say for sure. Um, But I'm not nearly as upset by... Because I don't put all the blame on Flurry. Now, here's where I will give Flurry a little bit of grief because I think he would tell you the same thing. When the Wild scored two goals in 11 seconds to bring with them within one uh, that they had all the momentum, that goal that made it five, three, that five hole goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell that Marco de Fleury knew that was a backbreaking goal. And then the sixth goal again, really not executing a poke check. He waited too long. He didn't really go out for it. Totally. It's an easy read for rope. I hence that was the second of the game at that point. 
you're throwing darts at the wall, hoping to hit a balloon, right? Kind of thing. So that to me is where you can put a little blame on Flurry. But beyond that, at the end of the day, too many grade eight chances for the stars in that game. And they manhandled the wild and took advantage of their chances. Yeah. I mean, I just go back to the fact, I mean, Ottinger started game two just fine. I mean, it wasn't a question of rest. I don't think even as deep as that game went into, I think that, you know, with flurry though, no. yes, yes. He's a playoff goalie, but at the same time it like, I hate to say it as much as I love the guy. If you're sacrificing Mark Andre flurry to hang on to Philip Gustafson and wait for, you know, uh, a guy like Jesper Wallstadt to make the jump, or you're trying to fill that void. I mean, I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, Mark Andre Fleury has got one, two, maybe three seasons left in him. For Minnesota, you've got to be thinking mm-hmm. about the next step. And Gustafson played well enough to earn the start. But you know what? From game three onward, he's he's earned it. And it's kind of a moot point at this point. But it was interesting yep. at the time, I think, as we looked around. Before we jump to games three and game four, why don't we talk about that hit? Of course, Pavelski um, getting absolutely leveled. I mean, absolutely yep. steamrolled by Matt Dumba, um, hitting his head on the ice and probably in concussion protocol, just not exactly the best uh, result of the hit, just kind of an unfortunate result. Um, the conversation first started, you know, is this hit dirty? Is it clean? I I don't think it was a malicious hit by any means. I Was it on the cusp of being late, like a lot of people have said? Yeah, you're getting close to the end of that window, but I think in the playoffs, I think you see a lot of guys finishing their hits, you know. Still in the legal window. Yeah, a a quarter of a second later than they normally do. I think just the fact that Pavelski didn't see him coming and then you get the end result. And of course, the Wild are on the road against Dallas. Um, Just kind of an unfortunate result. Pavelski, unfortunately, ends up uh, suffering another head injury. And ironically enough, being the victim in a sense of the own rule that he ended up creating with mm-hmm. the Vegas San Jose situation a couple of years ago. Um, unfortunate to see a guy like that get hurt, but I, I think, are we both in agreement that this play was a clean hit, a clean hard hit, hit. A, a shade late, but totally fine. Like, I mean, interference well, at best, not like, technically late, you know, to yeah. the viewing eyes, it's a shade late, but to the NHL standards, it's perfectly within the allowable window. Yeah. And I think to your point, what I want to focus on is, uh, okay, principal point of contact, right? Shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. I think we both would agree that the injury occurs when his head hits the ice. Apparently, he hits his head hits the ice in the playoffs and apparently just gets bad luck, right? Yeah. Um, but to your point, I want to focus on the initial call on the ice, which was initially a five-minute major, right? Um, so the referees call it. Uh, they go to review. And then it ends up being a two-minute minor for roughing, which to me isn't the hit that was the after right right so the nhl even after looking at it with multiple angles they said this isn't even a penalty yeah right and for dallas stars fans who won't shut up about it (laughs) who literally within eight hours were asking about where is the department of player safety and this and that and like you do realize that toronto those same offices are also helping in these reviews right no question department of player safety is looking at that almost in real time you would have seen probably an early morning announcement if it was going there, but based on how it was called, how it was essentially totally taken off the board, yeah, nothing was going to happen there. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I, you know, actually the most egregious play of the night, and this is not just coming from a Minnesota Wild perspective and not even the first one, the second cross check against Kirill by Suter in front of the net, yep. right in the midsection, right in between where you have padding. Any yep. player who has played the game watched that and went, oh my gosh, that like that. <laughs> You could you could yeah. feel that one. That's an uncomfortable yeah. cross check. Ryan Sitter, I mean, you gotta you gotta give him credit. He's a guy that really knows how to play right underneath that edge or play right over the edge, but not have those things get detected. I mean, that's why he's been effective in the league for so long. And yes, he has been effective in the league for a long time. Don't don't make the mistake of thinking a guy has a career that long without, you know having sizable contribution in something like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, You look at the time where he got hit from behind from Ryan Reeves into the goalpost, a couple of playoff series as a go by Ryan Reeves. And the context makes a lot more sense though. I'll tell you that much. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was bad. Um, Those are things that I think, you know, especially as former players, you watch that and those are the frustrating pieces because, you know, the Pavelski hit, you can talk about it. Is it late? Is it not? Was it slightly high? Was it not? Was it warranted? Was it not? Anyone who watches the game objectively, whether you're a Stars fan or not, can look at that cross check from Suter and say, yeah, that's brutal. That's That has no place in the game of hockey. It doesn't have any bearing on a net mouth scramble or anything like that. That was an ugly one, I kind of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, are you a little bit surprised? Um, I, I know he's not a fighter and he avoids these type of things. Are you surprised that Suter still hasn't, ended up in a melee of some sort just by happenstance or do you no, kind of feel not at like, all yeah no because ryan Suter avoids those types of things again to your point you don't as a defenseman and he's a decent sized defenseman too right yeah. um he's a guy that knows how to get under the skin and somehow avoid all the chaos he just that's there's actually a skill on that i hate to say that but there actually is um the game within the game, right? This is the stuff that we talk about, right? And part of that is a couple of cross checks. There was one of the zone entry bike really got him to right in the side yeah. in between the padding, right? Uh, and then in front of the net. So those are things that you talk about excessive, whether it's stick infractions, if you want to call it, right? That aren't called. These are the things that playoff hockey is. Mm-hmm. And whether you agree with it or not, these are the things that, when players have been around long enough for like, like Suter has, he knows how to, like you said, be at that line where could it easily have been called? Yeah. This is the standard in playoffs though, is that these things yeah. are typically not called. And the one concern that I had and, you know, game one, game two is if Ryan Reeves does respond in the way that he does, right. First of all, then you're playing right into Suter's hands. Yeah. Right. You're playing into, okay, we're, we're not going to focus on our forecheck, getting pucks to the net, cycling, all that good jazz. Now I'm just going to try to take somebody's head off per se. Right. I'm not advocating for that. So because well, we're in 2023, we, we saw how that worked for another guy in game four. Right. You know, so I mean, at, at the end of the day, uh, I think the wild have handled it pretty well as mm-hmm. far as I, I think the temperature is cooled a little bit. Yeah. Now, we'll obviously preview game five, but the temperature just naturally, because the series now is a best of three, will we'll turn up. But mm-hmm. I think both squads, um, after kinda, such a hard-hitting first four, are going to want to 
probably try to keep it a little bit more skill based and physical yeah. based. You realize the extracurriculars don't get you anywhere, uh, you know, yep. in, a, in what is now a th- uh, best of three series here. You know, and I think the one thing that I, I really didn't like is a lot of people in social media were talking about, oh, 97, you know, Kirill needs to get used to it. He needs to get used to that kind of punishment. I mean, he was he was playing through everything. It's like just because you're used to the punishment and physicality of playoff doesn't mean that a cross check isn't over the line and it's not a painful thing to go through i mean it's just like right. I said, you can tell people who just have not been in that environment before you know yes the temperature is heightened but at the same time it's like an illegal play is an illegal play unlike the right. joe pavelski piece but yeah ryan sitter has avoided ryan reeves uh you know as much as he has bill garen's phone call about him getting bought out um with that being said uh let's move on to games three and four here game three an exceptional performance from the minnesota wild here i mean uh, one of the most complete efforts they've had uh since the calendar year flipped over of course uh shots and this one ended up being 25 24 minnesota but it felt like a lot more than that uh, of course the wild start the scoring with matt zuccarello uh with four minutes left in period number one um and then marcus johansson <laughs> dirty what a move. Um, uh, puts the wild up two to nothing. Luke Glendening gets one back moments later in the second period. And Marcus Foligno off of a redirect on the power play. Uh, beautiful ma- oh, beautiful. Makes it three to one. I was really worried they weren't going to call that one a good goal because it was no goal in the ice. But I was, you know, you're looking at that and you're saying that's a good goal. Integrity of the game. You know, you're right at the crossbar line. It, there's no way you can definitively say like it, it wasn't egregious where you would say, oh, yeah, he was a foot and a half above the crossbar. I mean, it was right there. And it's like, man, that's again, that's an it's kind of like offside review. Are, are you really mm-hmm. able to d- differentiate from those things? Uh, Matt Zuccarello adds one uh, on a nice little line rush with five minutes left in that hockey game. And then Ryan Hartman, the empty netter all the way down the ice to seal the deal. Five uh, one Minnesota is the final score. Uh, like we mentioned, um, the Wild did not give up a power play goal, only two shorthanded opportunities for them. They did score one for four on the power play. Gustafson back in the net, stopping 23 of 24. Jake Ottinger stopping 20 of 24, did not get much help in front of him, similar to game mm-hmm. two for Minnesota on the other side of things. Um, I don't really know if there's much to dissect with this one. I mean, this was not really a, a great performance for Minnesota. I mean, hands down the return of John Klingberg as well, too. Um how about the fact we didn't talk about this in game one and of course the game saving dive um, from Brock favor, but I mean, he has been a guy that has been solid, not only has been serviceable, but has been like, he looks like an NHLer. And like, I, I don't say that to be obvious. I say that because there are guys like, like let's throw John Merrill, who I thought actually had a pretty decent game one, but like, overall is a guy that looks like a seventh defenseman. He looks like a guy that is in the lineup because of circumstance. Brock Faber didn't carry himself that way. He looks like a guy that, yes, he's a third pairing D man, but he looks like the fifth defenseman or maybe the sixth defenseman who belongs in that lineup. And Mm -hmm. he's assimilated himself. Well, he's secretly, strong in a sense where even when he gets knocked off of pucks, he's got great recovery. He puts himself in really good positions with his body. Um, Great to come off of a national championship, you know, contending run and jump into that playoff atmosphere. The moment hasn't seemed like it's been too big for him. Um, I've been extremely impressed with the former Minnesota Golden Gopher defenseman. Yeah, and I, I think the other part that I've been impressed with is his battle intensity. Uh, he's winning wall battles, yeah. uh, and just when you think that, you know, he gets double teamed. I, I remember at game three, he was double teamed in the corner. I believe mm-hmm. that was uh, second period. And he maybe initially lost it, was kind of getting pushed around. But then 
uh, strong in his skates, right? He's able to kind of pin the puck back up along the wall, create a 50-50 puck, get help, uh, and then was able to lead a breakout the other way. So uh, he probably still needs to bulk up a little bit, but as far as being in the right spot, reading the play correctly, making the right pass, using his feet, his angles are great. Uh, but more importantly, he's winning those wall battles, and then he's taking the puck and making the next best decision with the puck his puck management's been really good so impressive for a guy that is only six career games of his national hockey league career and like you said looks comfortable does not look like he's six games in. he looks very mature yeah. he looks poised and uh it's going to be uh, fun to watch his game grow um hopefully it's a lot more this season but uh if the wild if you're going to lose fiala if exactly. this is the return you got holy yeah. cow did the wild ever get a great defenseman that you are going to be able to have on your roster for years to come. Yeah. And Rock Fiber is certainly uh, not disappointed. For a trade that you weren't going to win, um, yep. it makes the loss a lot more palatable. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. It's exactly where I was going to go with yep. that too. Um, before we jump over to game four, you were actually in attendance for game number three, by the way. I'm going to yep. assume the atmosphere was pretty good from what Seth Topol tells us too. That apparently the laser light show is A++++, I guess. Is that... Uh, or, or were you were you too many beers deep to remember the laser light show? <laughs> no, um, that's a separate rant on the pregame festivities because um, I actually know the production company that does all that work. Um, yeah. So, and I can't. I'll, put, I'll just do a small rant. Um, the pregame needs an overload. It okay. does. I hate to say it. It does. And the reason why I say that is. It's a light and music show, but I just didn't feel like it was getting me. You didn't feel like it was an emotional no, experience. Yeah, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Yeah. Um, it just. The... Did you see? Did you see? Okay. Were you at home for game four? Yes. Did you see the pre-pack they put together from game three? Yeah. That that was exceptional. That was. I think that's kind of where you're going with that is. They. So. Right. And to. to because I rant and then you cut me off all the time. I'm going to keep it short this time. <laughs> they don't tell a story. They just yeah. don't. It's just music and lights. It looks cool, but it's not getting me in the mood for a game. There's a small little pre-pack on screen with highlights, but it's not telling me a story of how they got here, what tonight is, and what to look forward to. Um, am I spoiled? Because I've been to a couple of Vegas Golden Knights games, and they have sort of rewritten the book on pre-games, mm-hmm. maybe. But... Every single game that they do, whether it's regular season or playoffs, they tell a story of that game. And no matter what the circumstances are, whether it's what you call a meaningless regular season game or maybe going game seven to uh, a playoff game, they do set the tone real with a good storyline. And to me, the wild and the pre-pack are missing that element. And if it's just to me, it's just, it's just not tied together. Yeah. So um, you're you're saying you're missing the Pavelski hit. You're missing the Kaprizov cross check. You're missing the chaos. You, that you was. could even, you could yeah. even go back, go back to 1992 and say this, this franchise left Minnesota. Yeah. Put in more of that. And now we're back second time. This is our state. Screw them. Throw in that hit. Throw in the checks. Throw in the crush of the Kaprizov, right? And, and, say, and, you and the, be- and the best bet. first. You, yeah. can, you can tie all that together very easily. Here's the problem with this. And this goes to some inside knowledge. So the programming to that laser light show, plus with the on-ice projection, takes days. Days, right? So the problem yeah. is, is that 
I to me skip the lasers. Yeah. Sure, they're cool, but to me they don't they don't do much for me. I'd rather have a more tied together storyline with better light show. Yeah. Minus the lasers. I want to. I want to hear more That's about the me. best. I want to hear more about the best damn fans in the league. How about that intro, by the way? Like, so I will tell you this: I have both as a fan and as a journalist covering that team, going all the way back to 2007. Obviously, I don't have maybe the number of games some others that do. Right, talking right. Dan Myers, Michael Russo, right? But I've built. I've been in the building for regular season and playoff games. Where the the anticipation was there, the the energy was there. That crowd atmosphere is number one. It wasn't even close. Every mm-hmm. time the puck came close around here, it was loud enough booze you couldn't hear. They were chants. It, it felt like the crowd was engaged one hundred and twenty percent. The scream when Jules Eriksonek was announced as a starter. I mean, seriously, would have blown off. The roof of the Metrodome, and mind you, that was the loudest stadium experience I've ex- I've had growing up. Say what you want about it, but that was part of the the dome. It was the sound, right? Right. That eclipsed that, and that was not something I'd ever thought I would ever experience again. Was that sound level that you got the Metrodome? Because it just it just echoed, it reverberated. That building, I'm I swear, I don't know how the roof didn't get blown off. It was unbelievable. So what you're saying is if you can find a ticket for game six, you should probably go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing the atmosphere yeah. is going to be pretty incredible. Uh, game four, Minnesota probably should have had this one. It wasn't for lack of opportunity. Yeah. Jake Ottinger, what no. a save at the end of that hockey game, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, 34-24 were the shots for Minnesota in this one. Wild go one for four on the power play. Again, special teams on the offensive side has clicked exactly what you like in the playoffs. Yeah. They give up two on three opportunities on the power play side course we can talk about the officiating all day i mean you know uh, marcus lino kind of over the line a little bit depending on what you want to you know when you bring that level of tenacity where you ride that line but you're john at the other team you're john at officials a little bit at some point the dam is about to break i think for minnesota the fortunate piece is it was game four not game seven right in in that regard you still have time to kind of level out the playing field and kind of put yourself back in focus a little bit here um, Minnesota, like I said, probably deserved this one. They didn't get it. Tyler Sagan adds one on the power play in the second period with five minutes left. Evgeny Dadnov, kind of a, a tough little wrist shot um, through a screen. Uh, three minutes into period number three uh, through a couple of bodies. Dallas leads to nothing. John Klingberg gets one back from the point. Uh, just two and a half minutes later, Tyler Sagan, again, his second of the night, a nice little zone entry on a power play that otherwise had absolutely nothing going on, actually, mm-hmm. in this one from Jamie Ben and Rupe Hints, and then Freddie Goudreau adds one with a netminder pulled on the doorstep to make it a one-goal hockey game with a minute and a half left. But that would be it for the Minnesota Wild, who lose this one, three to two. Jake Ottinger was exceptional. His best game of the series since game one, 29 of 30 stops for him. And then Gustafson, um, stopping a total of 21 on 24 shots. I mean, it has been great again at even strength, just needs a little bit of help on the defensive side uh, on the kill. Um, Minnesota, this was, this was tough. I mean, it, it, is it yeah. fair for us to say they probably should have had this one, but kind of got a taste of their own medicine from game one, so to speak? A little bit, um, but it's not the same, right? Because uh, I felt like Minnesota was the team that was better, in the second half, I felt yeah. like they were generating more. Uh, you just ran into a goaltender that was willing mm-hmm. to get the series tied, right? And 
We talk about that save on Johansson with what eight, seven seconds left. Mm-hmm. Um, the stretch out, if Johansson maybe even elevates that puck another what two, three inches that's in the back of the net, but still he pushed hard right to left. He was over there. That's the thing. He was covering a lot of net. Uh, that's yeah. a hell of a save. He anticipates and, the play so well. And let's not forget too that puck was there's traffic in front of him. So to track the puck going across the seam there too is. We forget that sometimes, right? Sometimes just even know the puck is going across from you um, east-west. Sometimes you can be lost in the fold with that with how much traffic is in front of you, right? So the fact that he anticipated it, got over there, strong push, he didn't do what, you know, maybe some old goaltenders do, do the double stack or, you know, try to do some kind of lazy physical maneuver and try to get a stick on it. He was poised, he was square, chest was up, he had a lot of body there and caught it with the glove. And... Man, if that puck goes in, yeah. overtime, you never know. But you could almost call this a missed opportunity, Noah, right? Because yeah. the Minnesota Wild, in four franchise opportunities up 2-1 in the series, now have never been able to get it to 3-1. Um, and you talk about going back to Marcus Foligno, the only comment I'll make is, you know, you don't, when you have that opportunity, you want to take advantage of it, right? Especially when you are the road team and you really want to put the pressure on the you know the better seed to take care of business on home ice but at the end of the day a couple of little mistakes a couple of bounces honestly too that they got that first goal again that was a crazy pinball just nothing you can do really about that but now you're gonna have to go on the road to place where you have picked up a win you're gonna have to try to repeat a performance i would argue of games three and four again you you fully deserve game three probably deserve game four didn't get a couple of bounces. Dallas took advantage of the limited opportunities that they had. But now you don't get last change. You're going to be in a ruckus environment. Um, you're going to have to be able to be focused and have a full 60-minute effort because Dallas does not. They want to go back to St. Paul, and they want to have a chance to win the series. Yeah. Uh, how about that, huh? What it comes down to, Minnesota has to win at least one, if not more, on the road. I mean, really, mm-hmm. that's what the task at hand is. Uh, you talk about Jake Ottinger, by the way, growing up 40 minutes away from the Excel Energy Center. You know, pretty crazy how full circle things uh, are headed. So game five, of course, coming up on Tuesday, the day that this episode will release. Uh, game six on Thursday at the XL. Game seven, if needed, on Saturday. We'll be back in Dallas. Minnesota has a chance here. I mean, this is a full-blown series. Um you know, and like you mentioned, um, I don't remember if you mentioned it during the show or pre-show, but yeah, teams, like you said, that, you know, they win game five and win it, you know, almost, you know, three-fourths of the time. You know, that much, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a big deal. Um, yep. So Minnesota, the task at hand, you know, they're capable. This team has the goaltending um, and enough of the offensive firepower and secondary scoring, which is pivotal in Stanley Cup playoff time to be able to make some noise here and win game five and come back to St. Paul for game six. We're going to know by the next time that we have a show here, what the fate of the Minnesota wild is going to be. This Minnesota wild team, contrary to a lot of people's belief did not roll over and die, but they have to have a strong push. If you lose in six games or you lose in seven games and they're all one goal contests and it comes down to a crazy bounce or it comes down to double overtime again, it's palatable because you're giving yourself a chance. You're giving yourself an opportunity, right? But you know, you have to you have to earn that opportunity if you're Minnesota. Regardless of the result, the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall. I think a great example of this, besides the fact that Game 7 in this series was a little bit meh, all things considered, the first six games of the series against Vegas a couple of seasons ago is a prime example of a team that 
earned the first six games of that series and gave themselves a chance for game number seven. Um, Mm -hmm. Now for Minnesota, they've got to find a way to get over the hump. There is nothing that would be warranted more for Minnesota sports, Minnesota franchises, this Minnesota wild group, if they can get to the second round, Mm -hmm. be whatever the result of that may be for this group on this payroll to be able to get to that point against all the naysayers, against all the doubters, against the moments in January and February, we were talking what position in the draft lottery this team was going to be. The opportunity is there. If you're Minnesota, Mm -hmm. you've got to find a way to capitalize. You've got to find a way to get the job done. We look ahead to game number five. Um, Nick, both of us had the Minnesota wild winning this in six games in this series, still a possibility. What's it going to take in game number five and ultimately game number six or game number seven for Minnesota to get the job done here. Ultimately, you got to take advantage of your opportunities. I think the Wild have generated a lot of chances, even strength. The other thing is they got to really fix the PK. Yes, they really do. The PK has been abysmal. It's been it's what at 50 percent because of what they're at seven for 16 in the series. Dallas is on the power play. So, yeah, we whether that's staying out of the box, uh, which again, a highly contested game five is not likely. You have to be better on the PK. This is where you really miss a guy like Mason Shaw. Right. Um, Or and Erickson Eck. And Erickson Eck, right? This is where those two really make their mark. Uh, Erickson Eck still officially questionable for Game Five. It would shock me if he skates at all for the rest of the playoffs. If you want my honest opinion, um, but that's where it comes down to. Uh, I think they've been the better team offensively in terms of creating better chances. They just need to get a few past Kaprizov. Needs to get. Um, a few more behind. He needs to feel a little bit more confident. He put the team in his back last playoff round. Be nice to see him break through. I think that would be huge for confidence, of, uh, especially for him. And again, special yeah. teams, man. Power play has been okay, hasn't been great, but to me, the real concern is the PK. I was going to say the power play has been exceptional to me. They went one for four in almost every game, uh, which is exactly serviceable for the playoffs. If they figure out the PK, the Wild are going to be just fine. Five on five, they've been the better team, which is not something that this Wild team has been able to say through the majority of the season until maybe the last two months. Uh, A great turnaround here. The Wild, uh, they have a chance, and I think just looking at the Colorado-Seattle series, I think whoever comes out of this one has a pretty good chance to go to the conference finals regardless of the fact that the Avs finished in first place in the central they're a scary team and seattle is a great defensive group but mm-hmm. i don't know i think this is going to be exciting if you're a wild fan must watch hockey must watch tv uh must watch attending if you're able to get a ticket to either or all three of these games depending on how the series shakes out i'm sticking with nick here i'm still saying minnesota wild and six they've got the capability they just they've got to find a way in game five on tuesday night should be a good one we're going to head on to the extra ice session here we're going to talk very briefly about the rest of the nhl playoffs in the first round Welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson for episode 159. We're going to just take a look around the rest of the Stanley Cup playoff bracket here. We just recapped the Minnesota Wild uh, Dallas Stars series, which is tied at two at the time of recording. So if you missed that, uh, definitely go check it out. We'll know the answer to all these series by the next time that we have a show pretty much uh as far as the other series that is in that part of the bracket let's start colorado and seattle who are, are currently playing tonight it's two to one at the time of recording just getting underway here um yeah seattle almost had colorado down to nothing besides the comeback mm-hmm. from the abs in game number two um I, i'd say seattle probably really needs this one tonight to kind of give themselves a, a chance so uh by the time the show comes out the the lines may definitely change here but i uh, yeah, are you surprised um, 
at how well Seattle has played otherwise? And do you feel like Colorado still has a relatively okay path to get through Seattle? Or do you see this one moving through? You think this one's going to end pretty quickly? I do. Um, Nathan McKinnon woke up and he was like, I'm not letting this happen. Uh, You can tell. Averaging six shots per game. Unreal. Yeah. And a lot of those finding the back in the net too. Um, What else was going to hurt Colorado a little bit though was Val Nechuskin. Uh, taking mm-hmm. a leave from the team. So that's um, obviously we wish Bell, you know the best, uh, but he was a difference maker for a Colorado last playoff season. Hasn't maybe had the notoriety so far, but we're only three games in. You kind of wonder if that maybe is an X factor, but I still feel like with um, with Nate McKinnon and uh, Mikko Ratnan to say that, and Kale McCarr, uh, Devon Taves, I still feel like they're the better team and I still feel like they'll take care of business against Seattle. Yeah, well, it's been interesting. You know, one of the things that I look at for this round and the the title of the graphic, of course, in the YouTube things is round one of the NHL playoffs is close. And now what I mean by that is we're going to definitely get some of these series that end up three one by the end of the end of tonight. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, the Carolina series is already and Boston is already in that spot. But what I want to kind of go through is a lot of these other series is too, they haven't been three, one in the conventional ways that we've seen. It hasn't been where a team has jumped out to a three, nothing lead. And then all of a sudden one team just kind of whimpers back a little bit. And then it ends in five or six games. They've been closely contested series through the first three or four games of the series. And I think that's a testament to the parody of the national hockey league. We're starting to see a little, a little bit more. Now you can say what you want about the playoff format. You can say what you want about the first round matchups being divisional matchups and why you should save that for after the first round. And I'm totally with you on that, but mm-hmm. This Minnesota-Dallas series, for example, has been an absolute war. It's been good hockey regardless. So um, I think that that has definitely hit regardless of if it's because of the divisional matchup and the familiarity with teams or if it's just because of the parity of the National Hockey League. I'm not sure. It's probably a combination of both. But nonetheless, the first-round series have been pretty decent so far. Uh, Vegas leading uh, Winnipeg 2-1 to at the time of recording right now. I'd this Winnipeg team is putting up more of a fight than I think I anticipated here. Vegas has mm-hmm. not had a, an exactly an easy run here. Both these series is in, let's just say it, the Pacific plus Winnipeg um, have offered a lot of chaos in that side of the bracket mm-hmm. here. Um, this Vegas series, I, I don't know if this one gets solved before seven games anymore, Nick. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure. Connor Hellebuck has risen to the Will occasion. team. Yep. Yeah. Um, He's what been do you known think? to do that in the past. Um, also, Vegas defensively is a mess, to yeah. say it lightly. Um, Jack Eichel, uh, good to see him get um, a couple playoff tallies. He's waiting a while uh, to to sniff playoff hockey, and he's making the most of it. Uh, but Vegas too, they just they don't seem like they have the depth to carry through. Shall we say round one, maybe yeah. round two? Um, but more importantly, uh, they just seem to get lost on their coverage a bit sometimes in, in the defensive zone. And that to me is a bit scary. And I, I think oftentimes too, when they're trying to carry the puck in the offensive zone, trying to carry it, Winnipeg stepping up and uh, Vegas, they just don't want to seem to want to chip and get it. So uh, got to give Winnipeg a little credit. Now, the one thing that's going to hurt the Jets is no Josh Morrissey. That's huge for their blue line. Um, so it's going to be a war. Connor Hollebuck has risen to the occasion, like you said, uh, but yeah. he's going to need help. Um, Kyle Connor has looked really good. Blake Withers actually looked pretty good in this series too. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to need all of them uh, and more to step up and get it done because Vegas, 
as, as much as they're flawed in some ways, they still um, are the better team on paper. And I still feel like, especially with Morrissey being out, that's going to be a huge loss for Winnipeg. That might be too much for them to overcome if nobody else steps up to the plate for the Jets. Yeah, 1-1 one, one after the first period of play in Game 4 at the time of recording. How about this? Speaking of your abs, by the way, we are not even five minutes into period number one. The Kraken are on the power play. They lead one to nothing. Nick. Shots 10-1 to one Seattle five minutes oh in this hockey game. Um, you think the Kraken are ready to play tonight? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Uh, of course, the Devils being the Rangers today and the Leafs and Lightning yeah. at the time of recording right now are in overtime, overtime. Just getting ready to start. So they um, reached a four to one third period deficit to get tie that game. So yeah, how about holy speaking, cow. speaking of comebacks? How about the comeback of the Edmonton Oilers the other night to tie this one at two to two? This series has been fireworks galore. This yes, has, has a heavyweight first round matchup here. I have no freaking idea. Again, seven games. I I picked the Oilers. I, I think you did too. Actually, mm-hmm. um, I I don't know, man. <laughs> I I told people, watch out for the Kings. They're sneaky, and yeah, they're yeah. still without Fiala. Uh, but Andre Kopitar again. The the playoff stalwart has been really really good. Uh, Corpus Salo, holy cow, has he looked really impressive um, yeah. with the Kings uh, playing in just what a couple starts for them. But yeah, no, I, I I did not. I was not on the same train that Edmonton was going to wipe them with you know their floor rug. I did not. Yeah. I wasn't on that. I said, hey, this is a six or seven. This is going to be close. And right now, it's going at least going six. Yeah. Three of, could, yeah, three or four could, games going to overtime. I mean, yeah. So yeah. at the end of it, this could easily go seven. And like you said, I have no idea who's going to come out of that series. And at the end of the day. Both could easily do it. Mm. Um, yeah. Yep. I guess the act factor again, Connor McDavid. In a game seven, you probably have your money in him. I think that's where both of us are like, okay, that's where the edge is. Um, I still think that's where it is, but can't count out the yeah. Kings, man. They're putting up a hell of a fight. You look at some of the guys that have been performers for the Kings too, right? Like Adrian Kempe is averaging four mm-hmm. or five shots a game. I mean, it's been impressive. I think that series has probably been the closest series out of any that we've seen. Minnesota, Dallas is probably right up there. And I would say Toronto yeah. and Tampa have been the three that I think we look at and say, whoa, they've been heavy hitting very close. Um, on the other side of the bracket, on the bottom half, uh, probably the, the two uh, – groupings of least competitive series is or the least competitive corner of the bracket so far right now uh carolina leading the islanders three to one i, I think you and mm-hmm. i can agree the isles are done they're they're yeah, not they're gonna, done yeah they're yep. just not gonna get out of that one same um, with the panthers they're done and yeah yep. yeah we'll jump up there in a second the, the rangers leading the devils two to one though um yeah yeah, and then the Devils, of course, win. That this hasn't been updated. So, uh, yeah, two to two, two, two. This series. Yeah, the Rangers kind of a bit of a scare. The Devils, really, what's been surprising to me, they found a way to not win by committee here and even up this series. But mm-hmm. um, their goaltending has been extremely subpar, in, including Vanacek yeah. losing his starting role here. That is something that I, I kind of talked about for the Devils. I picked them to go all the way to the final, and I'm like, that's kind of their pivotal pieces. They have enough components that don't wow you, but they're able to keep the train rolling, and their goaltending has been more than serviceable. They're missing that element right now, and I think that's the piece that could really hurt them if they make it into the second round. I mean, this is... Well, when we talked about this matchup, I said the Rangers, right? And I had mentioned yeah. that my big concern was just the playoff inexperience with the devils are a young team yeah they're extremely talented but i get the sense that new jersey granted this series is tied 2-2 right so at the end of the day you know all bets are kind of off at this point but 
goaltending has been suspect, to say the lightly. And I think there is a bit of playoff jitters there, especially for Vanacek. I don't think he's been the go-to guy. And it kind of showed he kind of, I think, folded under the pressure. Um, no good for New Jersey, trying to find other ways to, to beat the Rangers, which is no easy task. The Rangers are a loaded squad, right? Yeah. Um, and could you imagine if the Rangers go down in round one after all the moves that they made with Patrick yeah. Kane, Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, just to name a couple, right? Holy cow. But, hey, it's the best of three now, and who knows? Uh, either of them can pull it off. I still think the Rangers have a slight edge, but if New Jersey has found its way, they could easily take this as well. So hard to really get a gauge on this one. We'll know game five here coming in a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, Boston leading the Panthers 3-1, like you mentioned. I think the Panthers get one more, but they lose 4-2. I think they can push it to six, but they just they are not a well-oiled machine right now. Uh, no. And I, I shouldn't even say that where they're not a well-oiled machine. Boston is just, uh, not surprisingly, they're just too good. Um, Boston's good, and their depth is, in, is insane. The Panthers beyond Barkov, Kachuk. I mean, they just haven't had the contributions that Boston gets, right? Yeah. Um, and Boston just can they can come at you in waves. They can roll four mm-hmm. lines. They each understand their role. They execute it. They get a they get great goaltending, right? They've been the best team all year. Um, the Panthers just can't can't match. I don't think they get another one. I think the series is done in the five. Yeah. Um, wouldn't you have loved to see an Olmark and Kachuk go at it the other night, though? Oh, that would have mm. been awesome. What a move by Taylor Hall in that game, by the way, too. That, that nice was little... disgusting. Yeah. Um, really nice. Like, I agree with you. I mean, Boston's got this one, whether it's five or six. I, do, I think they're going to make short work-ish of Florida, to say the least. Uh, and then yep. the last one, uh, Toronto leading Tampa 2-1 to one at the time of recording. We're keeping an eye on this score here. Still 4-4 four to four as far as I can see, three minutes in overtime. Um, why don't we do prediction time here real quick before we end up getting a winner here? I think the, I think the Leafs make it three, one. I think they win tonight. Tampa ties it two, two. (laughs) Why am I not surprised? Uh, this Leafs team though, um, especially after game one, you didn't really know they did not roll over and die. In fact, they've kind of put a stake in the ground and shown that they're for real a little bit here. Uh, if they're going to have a hiccup, I suppose game one is the place to have it versus the alternative from what we've seen in Leafs series in years past. Um, yeah, this Lightning team, um, definitely not the powerhouse of yesteryear. I think that's that's the first thing to be said, but they've still been a formidable force here. These two teams in the first round have been must-watch hockey. Um, yeah. In, you know, year in and year out. Uh, we just talked about the overtime finish, whatever it's going to be. Regardless, Nick, let's say it's 3-1 Leafs or 2-2 Lightning. Is this the year that the Leafs finally do it? We both had the Leafs coming out of this series. Yeah. I still think that is the case. But again, Tampa, mm-hmm. they've been there. They've done it. They've been in the final three straight years. Now, granted, that means they've also played a lot of freaking hockey. Um, you kind of wonder if they've run out of gas, per se. I don't think that their bottom six is as good as it has been in years past. And mind you, they've had to recycle a lot of players over the Stanley Cup wins. And the fact that they've been doing that and still be able to put together a solid playoff roster is still impressive to me. I still think that the Lightning, as an organization, regardless of what right. many people will call cap circumvention, just to stand with the rules, whatever, right? Go cry about it. I don't care. Um, at the end of it, that's mighty impressive. It really is. And if they're able to tie this at two, um, watch the Maple Leafs fans melt on Lake Ontario because... At the end of the day, they want it more. I think we all know, we've been saying it for, what, three years now, that this is the last year, then changes have to be made, and we're talking big changes. You kind of get the sense that they're not going to get another, you know, get-out-of-jail-free card after this one if they fail in round one. 
And when you have to go up against um, a team that's been in the cup final, winning two of them in the past three years, that's a tall order, no matter what's on the ice. So I would say this, if the Leafs go up three, one, they will have the series. If this game is, if they tie the series two two, then guess what? Yeah. I think, I think Tampa will Ooh. shock the world. Le- Leafs are on the power play right now. Um, should be interesting, but while we're stalling time for, we'll stall, stall time for two minutes. How's that sound? Does that sound like sure. a, a nice time that somehow yeah, that coincides with certain things? Um, yeah. I, just a quick little flip over, like we talked about Iowa losing to Rockford in the AHL best of three first round here. Iowa, Tucson, um, Ontario, and Bakersfield on the Western side of things. And then Lee Valley, Springfield, and Laval have all lost in that best of three first round here. So the actual normal playoff bracket, so to speak now, similar to the NHL has now been set. Uh, Texas playing Rockford. Texas is the number one seed in that bracket. Milwaukee playing Manitoba. That'll be a good series. Uh, And then number one, Calgary playing number four, Abbotsford and number three, Colorado playing number two, Coachella Valley and the Firebirds on the Eastern side of things. Charlotte uh, ended up playing Hershey now with their victory as the two and three seeds. Number one, Providence getting number six, Hartford. And then Toronto gets uh, the winner of that play in Utica as the four spot. And Syracuse has Rochester right now. So keep an eye on those as the AHL playoffs. Um, they seem to start a shade later or take a little bit longer to kind of get going in the NHL. But then they kind of resolve themselves uh, as we approach the Stanley Cup final bracket with their pacing as well, too. So the AHL brackets, um, interesting. A lot of teams that um, kind of you look at that, honestly, in the sense of, uh, the NCAAs a little bit, and maybe do they employ something like that where teams kind of have that little bracket where they can kind of try to make their way in over the course of a single game or a weekend or something. I don't really know either if that's something. Oh, by the way, how about this, Nick? 3-1, hmm. to the Maple Leafs lead this series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh, uh, there you go. Game winner coming uh, in overtime from, as we wait for it to load here, game winner coming from Alexander Kerfoot unassisted on the power play at 414 of overtime. So oh boy. Oh, how do we feel about the Leafs now? <laughs> well, do I have to say it? They've had three, one series leads and have blown it. So uh, I agree it, with you. Like you said, they're going to get it done. I still think they'll get it done, but I still think it's going to take at least till game six, game seven to do it. Um, Cause you just, again, you can't count out this, Tampa Bay Lightning squad, and they'll push to the yeah. end. And again, you know, when the pressure's been on the Leafs, they've somehow found ways to lose the game rather than to actually cement themselves for the next round. You know, the Leafs are in the best and worst possible spot. If the Maple Leafs lose mm-hmm. this first round series, Toronto will like not exist on the map anymore. Like literally, that's they'll implode. Will, yes, yeah. uh, I. They have to get it. They have to. They like. It's not, they should sink into Lake Ontario, the whole city. Yeah. (laughs) They need to get it done here. Think about if they would have played a little bit better in game one though, you know? Yeah. How about the fact that the Leafs could, could have potentially swept this series. They could have, I mean, but at the end of it again, Tampa overtime finishes too, though, a couple of them for the Leafs, by the way, kudos to them. Something that they've come in clutch with that, Like you mentioned, they haven't in recent years, but the NHL playoffs offering a lot of entry. Of course, the second round should start around Tuesday on May 2nd, maybe on the first, if you have some series that wrap up a little bit early, but for sure, the second will be the start of the second round in the national hockey league playoffs for Nick Maxson. I am Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den for episode 160. Timer come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perks! 
fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.